Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Profitero and Micmac join forces to present a Brave Commerce virtual event. Join Rachel and Sarah along with Fortune 100 brands and retail leaders as they cut through the BS to discuss what Omnichannel really looks like. Commerce Live, Omnichannel Debunked. October 13th and 14th, 9.30 to 1.30 Eastern. Register now at gocommercelive.com. I remember one of our early investors like, I don't have a Wisconsin company yet. I'm so excited I have a Wisconsin company. And they like had a map of all the places where their companies were, and they were trying to fill in all the different states. So I think that the access to real growth capital has just skyrocketed in the Midwest and Wisconsin too. And that alongside with bringing in the diamonds in the rough, hopefully, from all across the U.S. and then giving them the support and then eventually the financing, that's a winning recipe for producing entrepreneurs, in my opinion. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Rachel, I'm on a high. I am on such a freaking high right now. Why? It's the end of Q3. Well, first of all, yeah, that's a good reason to be on a high. The pressure is insane, but that's the name of the game that we're in. No, I am on a high because we just got word of the final keynoter that will be joining us at Commerce Live. And I'm just done, done, freaking high from that. Who did we get? Who didn't we get? I mean, we already had Kirk Perry the newly minted CEO of IRI, formerly of Google, and before that, PNG. Rachel, you are going to be interviewing whom? Just this incredible leader and probably one of the most powerful people in the world, Indra Nuhi, the former chairwoman and CEO of PepsiCo, who's also on the board of Amazon. Damn, damn, damn. I don't know why you're not on a high, because I'm on a high from that. Then our third keynoter is Carolyn Everson, the newly minted president of Instacart, formerly Facebook. I have to think this is her first public speaking engagement representing Instacart. Can we claim that? Um, I don't know. I mean, if we say it with authority, then perhaps it is so. But I know it is super duper hard to get on her calendar. 
she knew that the audience for Commerce Live was going to be so freaking great. And so she's agreed to join us. And I think getting all of the different perspectives, the CEO of IRI, the president of Instacart, the former CEO and chairwoman of PepsiCo, you've got brand, you've got research, you've got complete rabble rouser unicorn. I mean, it's it, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And our theme is omni-channel debunked, which is, I mean, I couldn't think of three people who would be better to lead us in this conversation. Not to toot our own horn, because the truth is, I think everyone who's listening, Sarah and I rarely talk about our own businesses. That's the beauty of Brave Commerce. But this is insane. Profitero started this commerce live platform. And then I was like, hey, can Micmac tag along and you know try to make it bigger and better? And look what the hell we just pulled off. It's insane. This is totally normal. I don't know. I think this is unicorn level conference status shebang. No offense to all the other guys that are putting on conferences and charging people an arm and a leg to do this, but our lineup is sick. And it's not just the three of them. It's not just Carolyn, Indra, and Kirk. The other speakers that we have are also just phenomenally strong, whether it's strategic or very much in the hands-on keyboard work. We have a hell of a lineup. And you don't have to wait just for Commerce Live because today we have a unicorn on the show. Sarah, I believe you guys met at a cocktail party in a pre-pandemic world. Well, that's the only way cocktail parties happen these days is the pre-pandemic world, um, or at least for me, who generally speaking does not see uh, the light of day anymore. But yes, I met Wes Troll, who is the founder and CEO of Fetch Rewards, at a cocktail party on the beach in Montauk, as most people do when they meet people in the business world. Is that not normal? Were you drinking an Aperol Spritz, rosé, white wine? I was probably drinking a beer because oh, wow. that's how I roll. Yeah. I was introduced to Wes, who I had heard from one of his investors, uh, Graycroft Partners, about this incredible value proposition that they had been working on. And he's like, you totally need to talk to this guy. I'm like, all right, I'll do a solid. I'll talk to this guy. But, you know, years later, he is leading a huge company that is really disrupting the first party world, the third party world, retailers, brands, and is a certified unicorn because their valuation is over a billion dollars. So we've got Commerce Live and we've got Wes. You get both. And on that note, let's bring Wes onto the show. Wes, I think when we first met, it's going to sound super duper pretentious, but I think we were like in Montauk <laughs> overlooking some beautiful view or something like that. And we got introduced through one of your backers at Graycroft. I was like, wow, this company is doing some really interesting stuff, but you guys were pretty small. And now you're officially a unicorn valuation over a billion dollars. Quick background on what the hell is Fest Rewards? And how have you gotten so big so fast? I'm still just so happy you were willing to come over and talk with me because I was so out of place in an environment like that. I think they made me wear a button-up shirt, and that is just (laughs) not in my standard MO. So I'm glad you weren't scared away by the rough edges and that we were able to connect then. 
well, now that you know me, I think you realize there was probably a reason why I, you were introduced to me because I also have rough edges. So <laughs> we're a perfect match on that side. <laughs> yeah. So Fetch at the highest level, what we do is we created a mobile application back in 2017 that essentially allows consumers to connect directly with brands across any channel they're shopping at and to be able to be rewarded for their purchases of certain products. And the whole concept really stemmed from when I started the business, I had dropped out of college and I'd moved into an apartment for the first time ever, meaning I was doing all my own grocery shopping. And I just didn't want to have to jump through all the hoops of signing up for each of these individual loyalty programs that brands were pushing or retailers were pushing or really just any company was pushing. And instead, I wanted to focus on, could I have a single app that I truly loved using that I was happy to open daily? And then brands who cared about me would come and connect with me on my turf, on something that I actually wanted to be on. You know, and then I would have a single program that would earn me the equivalent of being a part of all those other ones, but without the friction that was needed. So that was the concept. And we've always taken that consumer first lens. We believe that we need to be their advocates. We are just representing the voice of the modern consumer and then utilizing the data that's captured on both their transactions that take place physically and online to then really help build real relationships between them and brands that they care about. So that's really what we do. We run an app that the app today has over 10.8 million monthly active users and continuing to just focus on growing out the reach and footprint because we think we're we still have a long way to go in terms of where we want to get to from a total user base size. Well, you've accomplished a lot. You recently had a huge Series D, I believe, investment that valued you over a billion dollars. So that's pretty wild to think about the amount of growth you had in such a short period of time. Sarah and I are here both building high growth stage companies, and we often are talking about the inflection points that our business are at. What were the key drivers of growth? Like, when did you go from 100 million to 250 to all the way to a billion dollars in terms of valuation? The growth has always been one that's interesting on that front, how the investment community looks at it. I think early stage, there's this like huge turning point between product market fit being truly proven out and then post product market being truly proven out. And that typically comes out in the the stage that VCs are investing in. You either have a typical VC fund, which is investing in basically everything that is pre-real market fit, product market fit. And then you have their growth funds that then invest in companies post product market fit. And the hardest part, at least for us, was up until that tipping point of truly being able to say, we have product market fit and this is different than anything that's been tried before. Typically, that can happen really quickly. If you're like a brand new product that no one's ever seen before, looks really different. Maybe you can achieve that with just getting to 100,000 users. But for us, we were in a space where lots of people have tried things with receipt reading. So there was the big question was, could you grow larger than I think the number was like three or four million monthly active users? Because that's where a lot of those companies, really the biggest of those companies had gotten to that stage, even though they had maybe gone through 40, 50 million signups, they were only ever actually retaining three, four million monthly active users. So a lot of the investors were questioning, is there a glass ceiling? Is there just, there's only a certain amount of people in the U.S. that will use a product that has to do with receipt scanning. So up until that point, that's when valuations were staying, I'd say, in the low hundreds of millions is what you could achieve through that. 
But once we broke through that glass ceiling and proved that, no, our trajectory is actually only accelerating right now. And the gap between for us to go to three to four million, up to eight million, up to 10 million and still going north right now, that's when you get true growth funds that the valuations start to explode. Because at that point, you're realizing, wait, this is a mass market type product. The only thing holding you back is more people just need to know about it. And there's just a huge total addressable market and capital can help you solve that problem of getting more people to know about it because we know it's applicable to the masses. So I'd say that for us is like the biggest inflection point. But for everyone in their own businesses and their own stages, those glass ceilings will be essentially different that will separate them between like early stage venture capital versus growth stage venture capital. And so at a billion dollar valuation, I guess IPO is is on the horizon. We try not to think about it. We'll do whatever's right for the company and what the company needs to allow us to keep growing. The private markets are really interesting right now. There's a lot of capital available. You have the largest ever private companies that have ever existed are existing today and having plenty of capital to keep scaling and growing. But the public markets are doing really well too. Look at Toast, another fellow Boston company who's proven that that is still a really good path forward and that the public investors are also looking for high growth technology companies. So I think for us, what we're focused on doing right now is build a world-class business that can keep scaling. We think there's still another 10x in front of us, maybe a 20x in front of us. So we need to just be focused on being the best company to try to achieve those things. And then as we keep growing, there's a lot of the things that we put in place that are needed to IPO that we think are also just right for the business. So we'll, we'll hit them, but there, we're on no timeline to necessarily feel like we have pressure. We have amazing investors that are long-term oriented. We're feeling no pressure to need to go and have a liquidity event. We want to just do what's right and take the path that will optimize on our ability to just keep growing and deliver on the promise that we think is so much larger than what we're just scratching the surface of today. Let's go back to the app itself. When I first was introduced to it, I had to take a picture of my receipt and from shopping, upload it, I get points, blah, blah, blah. The move to online grocery shopping or even click and collect, things like that have made this e-receipt thing pretty interesting and compelling in and of itself. So you must have a lot of line of sight into grocery purchase behavior, whether that's moves from in-store to online, even physical receipts to digital receipts. Can you share any, you know, unique ahas that might surprise our listeners about shopping behavior, particularly that move from buying in-store to ordering online? Because most of our audience are companies whose products are bought at all these retailers. So we'd love to kind of Get enlightened a little bit. What are are some of the trends you're seeing that would surprise us? I'll start with a rather obvious one, but one that really... Well, then that doesn't surprise us. Well, it lays the groundwork to be surprised. Okay, okay, okay. I stay (laughs) correct. Go ahead. (laughs) The rather obvious one, and it lays the groundwork for why we were positioned to see the more interesting ones. Pre-pandemic, we were only seeing maybe 3-4% of our total transactions coming in via digital options. And for us in the app, consumers, obviously they can take pictures of their physical receipts, or they can link their Amazon accounts directly or link their email accounts directly. And that pulls in all the transactions from everything from an Instacart to a Walmart.com to an Uber Eats to a Grubhub, doesn't matter. We're pulling in all of those different types of transactions. And we were seeing adoption, you know, slowly increasing up and to the right. But then obviously the pandemic hit 
And as you saw with all of the trends, the obvious piece here is our transaction volume went into double digit percentages that were coming from digital. And you saw lots of households that before we would have modeled never seeing them move a lot of categories that were also ones that traditionally weren't going over right away in your first couple of purchases. So you would typically see something like a dog food move over, paper towels move over, those type of things were happening first and foremost. But all of a sudden with pandemic, you see a lot of perishables all of a sudden be added in. You see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot more of the center store being added in. So you had baskets that would normally take months to eventually transition over happening as like the first transaction for a household ever was that. And I think one of the things that just surprised me, and it makes sense afterwards after we really thought about it, is a lot of those people that their first transaction was like a full basket and a full cart during the strain of COVID on a lot of those delivery companies led to actually a lot of really bad experiences. We saw a lot of the initial order being very different than what was actually delivered. And a lot of disappointment and frustration that I think was being driven that people were okay with in the moment, because obviously with COVID, it was just, we're happy to have food, but that as people did a couple more repeats and it kept happening, the second they got the chance to go back and start doing it in store themselves, we saw a big swing back of those key categories that would go in. So I think a lot of the opportunity at no fault of anyone's was dropped just because of the the strain that was put on those systems, not being ready to handle that type of volume. And I I think you've seen is this huge spike that happened and then a big, you know, kind of a little bit of a slide back still much, much, much higher than what it would have been on its own. But I do wonder, will any of those households go back and try again now that they've been burnt? And we're not seeing it. A lot of those ones that that did feel like they were burnt on those first big transactions that they were putting a lot of categories that do have a lot of upset if you get the wrong thing. We haven't seen them go back to it yet. We've seen them just go right back to more grocery stores, uh, more of their habits that looked like pre-pandemic. So I think a big aha for us is just, is that now going to actually make it the friction even harder two, three years from now for them to keep growing because people will have that as their, what was in their memory and how are people going to overcome that? So that's just one of the things that we definitely were were surprised by, um, you know, as you look back over the events the last year and a half today from an individual household standpoint and track them and see that was a clear trend. It's fascinating, though, how convenience trumps customer experience. Like at the end of the day, even if you're having a crappy customer experience, you're willing to continue going. So you started Fetch at... University of Wisconsin. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. There must be something in the water there. These people might be your friends too. We might have shared friends. Corey Capasso, Andrew Ferenci, Eric Martel. Like there was this era of all of these founders coming out of University of Wisconsin. One, what do you think is about that university and entrepreneurial spirit that so many founders are coming out of it? And the second is, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? that might be at college, on campus, or via Zoom right now that are trying to start companies? I think UW specifically had two trends that really helped it, because I agree with you, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that came out of there and are continuing to come out of there. The first one was effort and focus that the university was putting into it. The only reason I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison is because the person who was leading the business school at that time, who was launching their entrepreneurship program as an actual certificate and degree that you could go get, I, I emailed him out of the blue. And he said, when you come on your campus tour, please come see me. 
I went to see him on a typical Wisconsin fall day, which is 42 degrees and raining. <laughs> and he took me on a three hour one-on-one tour of campus. And he sold me on it. He's like, here's free office space you can get and compete for. Here's lawyers and how we combine them with our, our entrepreneurs so that they can have legal guidance. Here's our business plan competition. That's just effort. I mean, to seek out someone like me who had done two like test startups in high school and believe that that's actually someone that they want there at their university, that takes a lot of effort and focus to deliver that and make that authentic. So I think that certainly helps them is they have an amazing staff over there that genuinely believes in entrepreneurship that is pushing it as a degree that is that is equivalent to any other channel or uh, track that you could be going through. So I think things like that is helping to attract the raw talent that you need. But the other macro trend that's really helped it, and I certainly experienced it, is you have investors in the Midwest that are more willing to be uh, risk tolerant, which is not traditional. Traditionally in the Midwest, they're very conservative. They want to see product market fit there. They don't want high burn rates, all of those good things. Um, so that's been helpful for getting seed money. And you have these VCs on either coast that are now looking for opportunities outside of the coast. I remember one of our early investors like, I don't have a Wisconsin company yet. I'm so excited I have a Wisconsin company. And they like had a map of all the places where their companies were, and they were trying to fill in all the different states. So I think that the access to real growth capital has just skyrocketed in the Midwest and Wisconsin too. And that alongside with bringing in the diamonds in the rough, hopefully, from all across the US and then giving them the support and then eventually the financing, that's a winning recipe for producing entrepreneurs, in my opinion. What about advice for future entrepreneurs that might not be in Wisconsin? Well, again, the nice part is that the entire U.S. has now been consolidated and shrunk down. And most meetings are happening just like this virtually, which means you have access to any venture capital firm that you want to. They're not going to force you to fly out to go present to them. So the barriers have been hugely reduced by this new video first type of workplace that we have. That's really exciting. That also means that potential clients that you're talking with, no matter what industry it is, chances are you'll start with just a meaningful phone call. So you can just get more meetings than ever before. And I think that's really important for early entrepreneurs because what you have to do is you just have to get started. You have to talk with a lot of people. You have to be willing to listen, willing to learn, willing to iterate and pivot. And the more meetings that you have, the faster that that process occurs. So when I was starting my business, I had to spend a lot of that time though traveling and getting from place to place, not productively meeting. Versus now, I can have an entire day filled up with 20 meetings across the country that you just happen back to back to back to back. And that's so helpful in the iterative process. And I think for early entrepreneurs, that's super important to be able to just do that. So I don't think it matters whether you're in Wisconsin or or, or Nebraska or Kentucky. I think all of these macro trends are actually helping entrepreneurs, regardless of where they live. And I think that'll be actually really good for our economy in general. Before we go to our final question, a little bit more on your shopping behavior. Last time you bought groceries online or in store? In store. What'd you get? Ben and, ben and Jerry's. I'm a, I'm a huge Ben and Jerry's fan growing up in the New England and they're a partner of ours through Unilever. So I'm like a diehard Ben and Jerry's fan. And I laugh because I have like way too many quarts of it always in the freezer, the little pints that they have. 
So I have Ben and Jerry's. I'm a huge fan of Kavita right now, which is the kombucha product. Are you sure you don't live in Vermont? Because you sound very Vermont. Kombucha, Ben and Jerry's. Who are you? I know, right? You're not from Wisconsin. I'm trying to embrace New England. All right. What was the last thing you bought online? The last thing I bought online was my dog food. All right. So you don't buy dog food in a store, but you do buy ice cream in a store. All right. All right. And I have bought ice cream online too. And actually great experience. The response times through like DoorDash and everything like that, they can get ice cream to your house before it melts. And it's perfect. <laughs> actually, it's the perfect level of squishy for me. It's, it's I kind of love it. Yeah. But I have a great Dane, so he eats a lot. That's a good KPI. Perfect level of squishy. I think it should be for that and bananas. My banana success rate has been meh. My avocado success rate also meh. My ice cream mush factor, I call it mush factor. Pretty good. I appreciate this scale uh, in terms of customer satisfaction. Well, Wes, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? I was super fortunate in hindsight to have the support while I did this. But dropping out of school is definitely a decision that was not taken lightly. The thing that I think I knew I was walking away from was, again, the privilege of having a college experience. I mean, it's one of the few times that you're surrounded by everyone your own age, and the world seems to be run by people your age, whether it was the the stores you're shopping at, the restaurants, like they're all staffed by your college peers, especially at a big university like University of Wisconsin-Madison. So it's like this utopia for kids between 18 and 22. And I knew leaving that and graduating into just going and working 100 hours a week on a startup meant I was not going to have that anymore. I couldn't go to game days. I couldn't use the facilities. I couldn't go to classes with friends. And that was tough because you'll never get that back. You can always go back to school, but you'll never go back to that experience and that time in your life. But I was fortunate to get two years of it. I was really happy with that. The scariness of going into the unknown of dropping out was you know, supported by amazing friends and family and made it easier. But I think that took a lot of courage for my younger self to do. And I'm really proud of my younger self for being brave and willing to do that. Well, you have seemed to make the right decision. The ROI of at least those first two years have paid off in spades. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.